Good morning. It's good to be with you today. I want to begin with a simple note of gratitude for the invitation by Professor Walton, and also to say that Reverend Sullivan, Ed Jones, your seminarians, Elizabeth Montgomery, and Nancy McGowan from your administrative staff have all been delightful. So thank you all. Working with everyone has been a pleasant reminder that while I might prepare my sermon text alone, worship and indeed ministry is a collective act. Today is the third Sunday in the Easter season. In keeping with our liturgical calendar, our lesson this morning is an Easter lesson. It is Luke 24, 16, a sentence fragment that we read as but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. I want to use a slightly different translation. It runs, but something prevented them from recognizing him. The fragment comes from a longer passage known as the road to Emmaus. In the text, we find two of Jesus's disciples hustling towards a village called Emmaus. It's Easter Sunday, the first Easter Sunday. They are discussing Jesus's execution, the empty tomb, and all that has happened. Well, actually, they're not having a discussion. They're having an argument. And they're not out for a casual afternoon stroll. The text suggests that they are fleeing Jerusalem they are part of a revolutionary movement on the verge of collapse. The movement's leader has been executed. Its members are scared. They're confused. They had been expecting victory and experienced defeat. But they ha we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, the text tells us. Into this hot mess steps Jesus. As the two disciples hasten along bickering about, well, I suspect everything, up walks Jesus and asks, what's going on? But something prevented them from recognizing him. And in that whole story, that's really the verse I want us to linger on. Wrestling with a text, we can imagine all kinds of reasons why something prevented them from recognizing Jesus. The Catholic priest and anti-war activist Daniel Berrigan took a fairly literal approach. Berrigan suggested that Jesus's disciples failed to recognize him because his body was broken. Jesus appeared as he was, the victim of torture, bloodied, bruised, swollen. Another interpretation suggests that it was the sexism, the misogyny of the disciples that prevented them from recognizing Jesus. The initial eyewitnesses to the tomb were women. In the verses immediately preceding our passage, Mary of Magdala, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, along with some unknown number of unidentified women try to convince the rest of the apostles 
that the tomb is empty. The male disciples do not believe them at first. They call their story an idle tale, or in one translation, nonsense. Recognizing Jesus might have required these disciples to recognize their own sexism. It would have required them to recognize that the women they had chosen not to believe were actually telling the truth. Whatever the case, our text tells us this. There were two people traveling a path together. They were joined by a third, and they did not recognize him for who he truly was. This is an all-too-human story. It's too often my story. I imagine you are familiar with it, too. Think about it. How often do you have an encounter and fail to recognize someone? Let's just start with the mundane. Have you ever had the experience of thinking you see someone you know across the room? You believe you're in the vicinity of a friend when you're actually near a stranger. More frequently than I would like to admit, I have strode my way across a crowded gathering to greet someone I thought I knew. But when I arrive, I am discover the mere resemblance of my friend. They have the same haircut, a similar tattoo, or are wearing a shirt that looks exactly like my friend's favorite piece of clothing. Beyond the dark bob, the double hammer neck tattoo, or long sleeves with black stripes is a stranger. Such encounters are embarrassing. Blessedly, they usually last a fleeting moment and then are gone. Other failures of recognition carry with them far greater freight. For another kind of failure of recognition is the failure to recognize each other as human. And that carries with it lethal consequences. When police officers murder people with brown and black bodies, they do so because they fail to recognize the human in the person who they shoot, choke, or beat. The police officer who shot Mike Brown said the young man looked like a demon. That is certainly the most apt description of failing to recognize the human in someone else that I know. Reflecting on the murder of Trevon Martin, Theologian Kelly Brown Douglas charges us that we must recognize the face of Jesus in Trevon. She challenges us to consider that Jesus was not all that different from Trevon. Both belonged to communities targeted by violent structures of power, composed of or endorsed by the state. Trayvon Martin, Mike Brown, Freddie Gray, Sandra Bland, Corrine Gaines, the list goes on and on. What would it mean if their killers had recognized the human in each of them? What was it that prevented the police officers from recognizing the human in the 321 people that have been killed by police this year? I just want to let that unpleasant question linger. Let us return to our text. It contains within it an encounter with the holy. 
Our two disciples were on the road to Emmaus. They discovered the divine, but they did not realize the divine was among them until it was too late, until Jesus disappeared. One of the principal theologians of my Unitarian Universalist tradition is William Ellery Channing. He taught that each of us contains within the likeness to God. Jesus, Channing believed, was someone who had unlocked the image of God within. He did this by seeing the divine in everything, from the frail flower to the everlasting stars. Channing might be labeled by more conventional Christians as a Gnostic. The Gnostics believed that Jesus came not to offer a sacrifice to atone for our sins, but to teach us how to shatter the earthly illusions that prevent us from finding enlightenment. This suggests a reading of our text that focuses not on the resurrection of Jesus' body, but on the resurrection of his spirit. Remember, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus appears from seemingly nowhere. The disciples are walking, and then there he was. Remember, he disappeared almost immediately, as soon as the bread was broken. Maybe what happened was this. As our two disciples debated and argued and bickered as they fled down the road to Emmaus, they finally understood Jesus' teachings. As they recounted what had happened, the divine became palpable amongst them. And when they broke bread together, they felt that divine spirit stirring within. It was the same feeling that they had had when they had been with Jesus before his execution. They felt Jesus was still with them when they recognized the divine in each other. They found each other on the road to Emmaus. Understood this way, this story isn't about what prevents the two disciples from recognizing Jesus. It's about what prevents them from recognizing each other. What was it? What is it that prevents us from recognizing the human in each other's faces? Let me suggest that the failing to recognize the human in each other is an unpleasantly enduring feature in our academic life. Think about it. Most of us have participated in question and answer sessions that follow presentations and lectures. These sessions have a scripted dynamic. Someone from the audience asks a question, the presenter responds. Harmless enough, such exchanges further the collective project of the intellectual community. Except, except sometimes even these mundane exchanges include the failure of recognition. Do any of these seem familiar? The individual who asks the same question, no matter the subject of the lecture. The person who aggressively repeats someone else's query as their own. The comment in the form of a question. Each of these comes from a failure to listen. Failures to listen are failures of recognition. They often come from failing to imagine someone else as a conversation partner, as an equal, as another person whom with which we are engaged in a shared project. 
If we lift the curtain behind failures to listen, we will find insidious cultural dynamics, corrupting structures of power. I've seen over and over again an older male colleague restate a younger female colleague's question as his own. I have seen white academics ignore the words of people of color or try to co-opt their work. I have seen graduate students comment on each other's texts, not in the spirit of inquiry, but in the spirit of trying to curry favor with their professors. To be honest, I have done some of these things myself. When I commit them, I am locked in my own anxieties my need to appear smart, my desire to impress, even my longing to be a hero. Instead of listening to what someone is saying, I focus on my own words. And so I miss the conversation. I do not fully recognize who or what is around me. What about you? Doesn't that sound like the obliviousness of our disciples on the road to Emmaus. Recognizing the human and the divine in each other is hard. Let's just think about race for a moment. Race is a social construct. Race is a belief. White supremacy is a belief system. It requires that there are people who believe that they are white, in Tanahashi Coates's memorable words and that those people act in certain ways and believe particular things. Most people who believe that they are white believe in white normativity. This is the idea that an institution or a community is primarily for or of white people. The assumption is that the normal people in the institution are white and that other people are somehow aberrations. Religious communities are not immune to this. Neither are universities. The theologian Tandeika came up with a test for white normativity. It's called the race game. The game is straightforward. It has one rule. For a whole week, you use the ascriptive word white every time you refer to a European American. For example, you might go home from church this morning and say, I went to Memorial Church. The guest preacher was an articulate white man. If you happened to see my son, you would have said he brought with him his 10-year-old son. That little white boy sure is cute. The race game can be uncomfortable. It can bring up feelings of shame. Tandeika reports that in the late 1990s, she repeatedly challenged her primarily white lecture and workshop audiences to play the game for a day and write her a letter or an email describing their experiences. She only ever received one letter. According to her, the white woman who authored it wrote apologetically. She could not complete the game, she said though she so hoped someday to have the courage to do so. Does it require courage to recognize the human and the divine in each other? What was it that prevented our two disciples from recognizing Jesus? 
what assumptions do each of us hold about what is normal and what is not that prevents us from recognizing each other. We could play variations of the race game as a test, the gender game. The guest preacher was a cisgendered, straight-presenting man. Social class game, upper-middle-class upper professional. Ableism game, the able-bodied man with no noticeable neurodiversity. Such games might be difficult to play. They reveal the social constructs that prevent us from recognizing each other but something prevented them from recognizing him. But something prevented them from recognizing each other. But something prevented us from recognizing each other. What must we do to recognize each other? Again, I turn back to the text for an answer. Recall that our disciples were part of a revolutionary movement. Remember that they had given themselves over to a liberating struggle, a common project. 2,000 years ago, they did not accept the status quo of the Roman Empire. Today, we can recognize the divine when we join in struggle against the world's powers and principalities. Tomorrow's May Day marches, protests, and strikes demand that the American government recognize each human person, each every human being as a human. The rally at Harvard here tomorrow at four is a challenge to the university community to protect our most marginalized members. Yesterday's climate march was a call to honor the divine everywhere and in everything on this blue green ball of a planet. This morning's passing of the peace was briefly an opportunity to recognize the human in each face that you graded. The first hundred days of the new president's regime have been a sickening reminder of what is at stake when we fail to recognize the human. The afflicted are not comforted. The comfortable are not afflicted. The brokenhearted do not have their wounds bound. The stranger is not welcomed. People die from the violence of white supremacy, from the violence of military action, from the violence of state-sponsored poverty. Our disciples finally recognized Jesus because they were part of a revolutionary movement that was committed to welcoming the stranger in its midst. A movement that bound wounds, healed spirits, and denounced violence. But more than that, it challenged people to find the divine among and amid them. For as Jesus said, you cannot tell by observation when the kingdom of God comes. You cannot say, look, here it is, or there it is, for the kingdom of God is among you. It is the poets who sum my message best. T.S. Eliot, gliding wrapped in a brown mantle, hooded, I do not know whether a man or woman, but who is that on the other side of you? Jimmy Santiago Baca, the essence of our strength, each of us a warm fragment, broken off from the greater ornament of the unseen, then rejoined as dust 
to all this is. Denise Levertov, Lord, not you. It is I who am absent. Let us pray. Heart's hunger, holy mystery, spark that leaps each to each, source of being that in our human language so many of us name God, stir our hearts so that we may have the courage to uncover all that prevents us from recognizing each other and the divine that travels amid our mortal community. Grant us the strength and the compassion that we need to go together down the revolutionary road, liberating the human within each of us, binding the wounds of the broken, welcoming the stranger, afflicting the comfortable, comforting the afflicted, renouncing violence, and encountering the truth. The holy is never absent when we join together in struggle. May we, like our two disciples, find each other on the road to Emmaus. Let the congregation say, Amen.